Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. 50% of all the jobs created in almost the last decade in Illinois were within a half a mile of mass transit. 85% of all commercial construction was within a half mile of mass transit and 76% of all new multifamily housing starts were within a 10 minute walk of a CTA or metro station. So mass transit is critical to jumpstarting our economy in the Chicago metropolitan region. Hi, everybody. I'm Fran Spielman. With me today is someone I've known for decades, RTA board chairman, Kirk Dillard. Kirk, thanks for joining us. I think you and I met when you were a young person working for Jim Thompson. Am I right about that? I think that's right. So I was a young, skinny, had dark hair, <laughs> right out of college or law school, uh, staffer, the legislative director for Governor Thompson. Those are good times. What? Yeah, those were good times. What do you remember about those days? A lot more seemed to get done. He was a wheeler dealer extraordinaire. Well, Governor Thompson was, uh, you know, the best retail politician I've ever seen. Bill Clinton might be second. Um, you know, just a brilliant man intellectually. Um, Jim, Governor Thompson, God bless him, who just recently passed away. Uh, you know, he lived in Chicago. So he had a really good relationship with Chicago's mayors, and he was a four-term governor, longest-serving governor in Illinois history. So he got along with the mayor. Uh, he got along with Speaker Madigan uh, and uh, Jim Thompson. Um, also regionally, Chicago, the suburbs, downstate, uh, he was really able to bring all those areas together because he loved the state so much. He loved going down to deep southern Illinois as much as he loved uh, going to a Cubs game at Wrigley Field. So Thompson really brought everybody together. It wasn't a divisive time at all, uh, and everybody seemed to work together. And it was it was just a different era, uh, including um, you know, doing some some big things infrastructure-wise. Uh, the state wasn't as cash-strapped as it is now, uh, so we could do things in projects like Build Illinois and uh, you know, have a new White Sox stadium, the kinds of things that, uh, that Jim Thompson loved to work on. Yeah. Were you on the floor when he stopped the clock and prevented the White Sox from moving to St. Petersburg, Florida with the deal that uh, redid then Comiskey I, Park? I sure was. And uh, it was it was great theater. Uh, I remember it was, you know, obviously late at night. It was midnightish. 
Uh, I think uh, Big Jim had on like a white sports coat that he probably just pulled out of a closet at the uh, executive mansion to come over to the Capitol building and then blue jeans. And I think he even had on some some just kind of hideous pair of loafers. But he worked that floor hard and got those last five or six votes. You know, and it was what he loved to do. It was what he was so good at. And uh, it was just, you know, it was just for a young, as you, you just explained, a young staffer like myself, um, so much fun to, to watch that. And uh, literally, he did save, um, I believe, the White Sox from moving to, uh, to Tampa, St. Pete. Yeah, I lost a bet on that. I bet a colleague that they were going and they they literally had the moving trucks there. Um, the deal was cut in St. Petersburg. They had a stadium deal, a very lucrative one. And it was just amazing. Uh, Thompson, what did he give away to keep the White Sox? Do you remember oh what he horse traded? I mean, he was like our very own <laughs> LBJ. Well, he was very adept at making people feel like he uh, he was going to take care of them. I mean, he never in a quid pro quo manner traded anything. He's a former United States attorney, and, you know, he knew what he, he could and could not do um, ethically. But he was always great at saying, look, you know, I'll, I'll take care of um, Southern Illinois. This is a project important to Chicago. Uh, and uh, a city like Chicago, I still remember, and I'm a major baseball fan. My father was a high school baseball coach in, in, uh, in, in suburban Chicago. And um, uh, I just remember he said, look, we want to be a world-class, big-time city. you got to have an American League and a National League team. And even the Cardinal, uh, the, the members of the legislature from down in St. Louis, understood um, that Chicago ought to have two baseball teams. So he didn't really give away anything. He just said, look, you come talk to me. You come talk to me about the projects in your district, um, but you got to help out. Uh, you know, you got to help out the, the city of Chicago, the south side of Chicago here. And uh, Thompson was really good at breaking down those regional barriers. He got a couple of suburban numbers to, uh, to vote for it. I remember um, um, Representative Jim Stang from Oak Brook, uh, Representative Terry Park from uh, out in the northwest suburbs uh, were, were helpful in the end. So I didn't give away anything other than he just said, look, you come talk to me uh, and uh, I'll listen much more intently than I even might uh, if you help me keep the White Sox in Illinois. What is the greatest lesson that you learned from Jim Thompson? Because you came awfully close twice to becoming governor of Illinois. You might have even saved the state from Bruce Rauner. Almost. You almost did. What did you learn from him? And is it a bygone era now that the the conciliation, the collaboration that you learned from him? I learned two things from Jim Thompson. When Governor Thompson passed, um, Mrs. Thompson characterized Governor Thompson as somebody who always saw the good in everybody. So my first lesson from him was he always recognized the good, even in people that weren't politically um, aligned with him. And then the second is there's no permanent opponents in, in when you're in the government business. Somebody who's against you today could be your biggest ally down the road four or five years later. And uh, so you know, I try to see the good in everybody. 
you know, I'm a realist. Um, so I don't, I don't, you know, just because I'm a nice person doesn't mean that I'm tough. Uh, and I worked for governor Edgar and I would characterize Edgar as somebody who uh, was a nice man, but he was a very tough guy. And, uh, you can, you can recognize the good in everybody live in a realistic world. And then, um, you know, I love the adage that there's no permanent enemies because somebody who's against you today can be with you and helpful four or five years down the road. What did you learn from Edgar? Because he fought like cats and dogs with Mayor Daly on Miggs Field and, uh, you know, a lot of other things. What, what did um, you learn from him? You know, different different guys. You know, it was it was interesting. Thompson was a Chicago lawyer. Edgar was a non-lawyer downstater and really the only downstate governor uh, we, we've had in, you know, in, in modern times. Uh, governor Edgar was a great manager of state government. He was very tough. Uh, and sometimes, you know, uh, when I would say, let's, 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 we should, we should recommend, you know, let's just do this. Let's take this deal. Um, governor Edgar was a stickler for a balanced budget. Uh, and he was a, a much tougher fiscal disciplinarian um, than Jim Thompson. Um, but Edgar, like Thompson, um, knew all areas of the state very well. Um, Jim Edgar was really the first Republican politician in Illinois that really worked in the, uh, the Latinx community. Um, Jim was the Secretary of State, and he worked a lot with literacy because the state librarian is the Secretary of State in Illinois. And uh, so Governor Edgar worked very hard in the Latino communities while he was Secretary of State with literacy grants. Uh, and that helped him politically, but it also, you know, helped to establish uh, a, a, a good bilingual cultural help and assistance for the Latino community, which was really growing in leaps and bounds up and down Ashland Avenue and in places like Aurora, West Chicago, and, and Pilsen. Um, but Edgar was just a much tougher fiscal manager uh, than, um, you know, than, than Governor Thompson. So now you're the chairman of the Regional Transportation Authority at a time when people, by necessity for the last year, have been working from home if they can. And I drive past the Metro lots in my suburb and I, I did today and it's empty. And that's a problem for you. How the heck are you gonna lure those people back when they've learned that they don't have to go downtown every day. They don't have to ride the trains. They can do their jobs from home. They can have the flexibility. What are you going to do? Well, a lot's going to depend upon what employers do. Uh, and I work downtown. Uh, clearly, my law firm, I think, will probably scale back some of the real estate uh, that we have, uh, you know, on Wacker Drive. Um, but um, we'd already seen the effects of telecommuting. Uh, and I'm a prime example. I used to go in religiously on Metro five days a week. Um, before the pandemic, I probably went in... Um, you know, four days a week. And I would a lot of times on Fridays say, okay, you know, I have all my uh, ability to work on my laptop uh, at home. Zoom came along and, uh, you know, we were already starting to do, uh, you know, face-to-face -face time on computers. And uh, so we already saw 
um, you know, the, the change in the way Americans go about uh, and the world goes about its business. Well, obviously, it's very different now. But one very important thing, Fran, and this is a timely interview, is we released yesterday at the RTA a survey of thousands of our riders. Uh, and we, we, we interviewed current riders, people that are still riding, and very importantly to the riders who are not. The people who are taking our system, um, overwhelmingly, majority said they feel safe um, health-wise uh, on our system. So, you know, come on back. But the other thing is we surveyed people who stop riding. And those riders indicated that now that we have vaccines and we're, we're moving forward and hopefully getting back to more uh, normalcy in our lives, 80% um, of those folks said they're going to come back and ride the CTA Metro in pace. So um, there'll still be you know, a difference. Um, and that's where the RTA with our service boards and the CTA Metro and Pace do a great job of budget managing. Um, we're going to have to do some things differently. We're going to clearly on Metro run more trains during the day since we don't necessarily have maybe the same, you know, like me, 7 to 9 a.m. going into the office, you know, and returning home between 5 and 7. You have more people riding during the daylight uh, or daytime um, hours. So we're going to make some schedule adjustments. We're clearly we're in the process of buying new equipment, building new cars for the CTAL uh, and for uh, for Metro. Metro has an old fleet, and we're finally upgrading probably over time half of the fleet. Um, but we're going to have to uh, to make some adjustments on the kinds of equipment we're buying. So um, we're going to watch uh, and be nimble. We're going to watch other cities. One of the things when I got to the RTA, I told our staff. Um, that I want to do is, you know, I like to watch um, not only other American cities, but I want to know what they're doing in London. I want to know what they're doing in Paris and Madrid. Uh, so, you know, I look at this as a way to uh, reform mass transit. We work very closely with Jack Lavin at the Chicagoland Chamber of Commerce. Uh, your guest uh, two weeks ago on this podcast uh, was Mary Sue Barrett. We work very closely with her and her staff at the Metropolitan Planning Commission, and uh, we work with the Civic Federation. So with Chicago's business leaders and planners and the Council uh, Metropolitan Area Planning Council, um, you know, we're going to retool mass transit, and we work very closely with Mayor Lightfoot on equity and using mass transit as the economic equalizer uh, for the Chicago metropolitan area. So, uh, you know, I look at this as an opportunity to improve the economy and lifestyle of all Illinoisans. But Mary Sue has suggested that the CTA Metro and Pace uh, test sharply reduced bus and train fares or no fares at all to lure back riders who abandon mass transit. What do you say about that idea? Well, I leave that up to uh, the, the service boards. I don't set fares at the RTA. We're really the fiscal and planning oversight, um, but I leave it up to them. Um, just a couple of, of issues there is obviously uh, we're cash-strapped because about half of our revenues are supposed to come by law from fare boxes, and we would probably need a change in state law uh, to do what Mary Sue has suggested um, on the Metro Electric line, and it's an initiative really spearheaded by 
Cook County Board President Tony Preckwinkle. Um, on Metro Electric now, we're essentially running CTA service with reduced fares there. Um, I know our service boards are looking, uh, and I take Metro, we have reduced fares for 10 rides. So I think we're going to do some price structure things, um, you know, along the lines of Mary Sue, maybe just not as a, as big as Mary Sue would like us to, um, just because we seriously do have uh, a need for cash flow um, as required by state law. And, um, you know, we, uh, we, we clearly, uh, you know, do need to lure riders back though. So her ideas are always great ones and uh, we're taking her idea and, you know, working it uh, maybe just a little different even she wants it worked. But I mean, you need to do something to lure people back. It's not enough to say you'll be safe, you'll have social distance. First of all, will you maintain social distance on Metro or is the vaccine, does the vaccine make that a moot point? Um, well, I mean, one of the, right. Um, one of the things are with fewer riders, you're going to have more social distancing. And if 80 But is it mandatory our, on the trains right now? Do um, you have to stay six feet away or, you know, whatever? And, and the CDC came out under the Biden administration with regulations that included mask mandates. And uh, so we, uh, we, we socially space real well. We clean and disinfect more than ever. We are doing massive changes to the airflow with air filters on, um, on, on our equipment. And, um, you know, there will be, you will see reduced fares and ways to get back people on mass transit. Um, I would say as in a way of encouragement, um, if you dump the pump, as I call it, uh, and take mass transit, and you're a daily commuter, but if you're driving, you save $12,000 a year, Fran. Uh, if you take mass transit, that $12,000 a year goes a long way to mitigating you know, our higher than average national property tax burden, uh, aside from the fact that, uh, you know, you're helping the economy. Uh, and I always kid my millennial children and friends, look, we care about global warming. We care about uh, the, uh, the, uh, you know, the, the environment. Uh, mass transit is, is good for that. If you didn't have met for friend, and eventually people are going to go back on the highways and it's going to be bumper to bumper. I was on the Eisenhower the other day. It took me an hour and five minutes to get out to DuPage County uh, from uh, from the city. Um, but if you didn't have Metro, you'd need uh, another 27 lanes of highway, which we can't afford. We don't have the space for. So as people start to get frustrated again and get those reminders of what uh, the torturous commute we sometimes have on the Stevenson or Edens, um, they'll come back to mass transit. We're going to do everything to make them feel safe. And we will give them some financial incentives um, to come back. Did you cut service? Because the CTA did not. And that was a point of pride for Mayor Lightfoot. But, I mean, you saw empty buses and trains going by all the time. And is that something you can afford to do when you don't have riders? Well, two, a couple of things. Um Metra did scale back service. Um, Metra has a number of, of, of plans. Uh, they have uh, a, a, a system set up when there's bad weather. So Metra scaled back. Um, Pace scaled some back, although Pace's ridership has remained uh, 
essentially half of what it used to be. Uh, and we just I just looked at the economic numbers of who rides pace and uh, pace is really a necessity um, as some very low income people, workers um, ride pace. The CTA um, is moving the essential workers and the retail workers more than perhaps Metra does. Uh, the mayor called me at home um, pretty early on and said, look, um, Chairman, we are not going to scale back uh, the CTA. It's going to run um, to get these essential workers to uh, safety net hospitals, to our teaching hospitals. And it's, um, it's how retail workers um, get to and from um, the, uh, the Jimmy Johns of the world and other places. Um, so the CTA kept running, uh, and we thought it was uh, important um, for so many reasons, including uh, the psychology uh, of, uh, of the city of Chicago to keep the CTA running. So the CTA has been running. Uh, the federal relief monies that we've received um, have uh, greatly helped. But even when the CTA was down, Fran, over half a million people were riding the CTA every day. Uh, you know, that's more than most big cities other than New York and Los Angeles's um, public transit ridership. So even during the down, per down period, a half a million riders a day were taking it, but they tended to be essential workers. And as our survey showed, there are many people in Chicagoland that have no alternative but mass transit to get to work. Right. But from June to December, Metro lost 89% of its riders. CTA trains lost 77% and CTA pace and uh, CTA bus and, uh, and pace bus uh, ridership dropped by 50 to 60%, 50 to 60% respectively. So I, I assume that the stimulus money is not going to cover all those lost revenues. Well, they're doing pretty well. You know, again, Metro has, has scaled back and pay scaled back some. Um, but the CTA um, is, uh, you know, is greatly helped out by the federal relief monies uh, in our first divvy uh, at the RTA of, uh, of what I call CRISA allocations. Uh, we gave uh, a little boost to the CTA um, because they ran 24 hours a day. We also did, and I will tell all your listeners, um, if you love to look at data, go to the RTA Chicago um, dot org. So it's it's a dot org, RTA Chicago dot org. You can look at our surveys. We have a COVID dashboard on there about ridership, and um, you can look at, at at what we look at. But we are really a data driven um, agency, and uh, you know the data showed we needed to keep the CTA going twenty four hours a day. Uh, you know, people forget that uh, Rush Hospital or St. Anthony's or, um, you know, Mount Sinai, um, they change shifts in the middle of the night and people have to get to work. And the CTA is just a critical thing for essential workers um, during the pandemic. And, uh, we, you know, it helps with social distancing and keeping our trains and our buses safe to continue to run them so that the people have more space from a social distance standpoint on them. That's why we kept running them. So how do you expect schedules to change when people do start going back downtown in greater numbers? Well, Will you have fewer um, choices in rush hour? Will you be uh, be able to leave earlier? What, what do you think is going to happen? 
Well, let's, um, I talked to Rocky Donahue, the executive director of Pace, and he said his ridership is coming back at a really good clip the last few weeks at about 10% increase um, each, each, uh, each, each week or so. Um, Metro is going to run more trains. They're looking at running more trains during the day. Uh, on my line, the Burlington Northern Santa Fe, that's from Aurora through Naperville, Downers Grove, um, Cicero, Berwyn on in. Uh, they just added several more express trains as, as riders come back. Um, so, you know, I think, again, we are so data driven. Uh, we have a, if you go on uh, our, our system, you can see how many people ride and we update this system all the time. How many ride out of a given station uh, or bus stop uh, every day? Uh, we can give you those numbers. Um, so you will see, we will modify our schedule um, based on, on ridership needs. But uh, rest assured, we have a great mass transit system. We're probably the envy of most of the United States. You know, it's not a perfect system um, just because we do have limited resources and we try to keep fares at a reasonable rate. But uh, I would submit that Chicagoland is the envy of almost every city uh, in the United States for a mass transit system. And again, would you Mayor like Lightfoot, see, yeah, we're would looking you like at to helping see? neighborhoods. Would you like to see a congestion fee if people keep driving be, as they did during the pandemic because the roads were pretty well open? You know, I leave that up to, uh, I've left the legislature a while ago. I leave that up to policymakers to determine whether we need a, a congestion fee. I know Mayor Emanuel um, put a small fee on, uh, on Ubers and Lyfts that uh, went to mass transit. I think Mayor Lightfoot has adjusted and moved some of that money um, because of the city's budget crises. But I leave that up to, um, you know, to, to policy uh, makers uh, in City Hall and in the state legislature. But the work from home phenomenon, do you expect that people will be working from home a couple of days a week and um, continue absolutely. to do that? Yeah. You know, and we'll so have, that's we'll going to change what you do. You're going to have to do it. And Friday, maybe you scale back your schedule, right? Um, that's a possibility. Uh, you know, and, and I leave it up to the CTA. And, you know, it's it, the CTA is, is a far cry from the CTA I took when I was in law school. Um, now you can tell how many minutes away, um, you know, if I ride a, a CTA bus, which I do all the time from my law firm, I can tell. Uh, that a uh, 151 bus is six minutes away, and I can time my stepping on my elevator to get out there. Well, you can do that in the neighborhoods as well. Um, so, you know, maybe we space buses a little differently. Um, maybe we run some different types of equipment, but I leave that up to the service boards. But you will see massive adjustments by us uh, after uh, enduring of this pandemic we are you know, we now have the resources um computer wise to help us make better decisions we how much stimulus money did you get how um, much stimulus money um overall all all of the, the three different lump sums almost three billion dollars will will come into uh into us uh, there were a couple of bills signed by president trump uh, and we have the, you know, the new American Rescue Plan uh, from uh, from President Biden. So it'll be three billion dollars over, uh, you know, over a, a number of years, and um, some of it is going to fill, the, you know, the ridership hole 
that's there now, but uh, we're going to use some of it um, to plan and, and perhaps make changes. And as you said, in the way we operate. So that money will make you whole and then some? I wouldn't say and then some. Uh, and we, without, you know, s- clearly um, scaling back uh, in terms of, of, of watching resources, not filling vacancies and things like that, um, we'll survive. And, and I thank the members of Congress uh, who get it uh, from both parties and as well as our downstate friends uh, who also have mass transit systems in Peoria and Champaign-Urbana, um, Bloomington Normal, especially where there's universities. Uh, we have downstate allies you know, in the Quad Cities. Uh, uh, the, in fact, the gentleman who runs the Quad Cities mass transit system uh, is now um, one of the leaders of the American Public Transportation Association. Before we let you go, let's go back to politics. You lost mm-hmm. uh, for governor in 2010 by 193 votes to, to Bill Brady. Four years later, you lost to Rauner by one vote per precinct. Will you ever run for governor again? How about this time? <laughs> well, I would never say never. Uh, but, um, you know, I have a, a wonderful life now. Uh, number one, I'm, I'm a little bit older. Um, but, uh, I, you know, so I have what? a real good personal and, and professional mix. I, I, I look at President Biden and, uh, you know, say, okay, yeah, there's there's hope for for folks that I'm in my 60s. I'm not in my my 70s. But, uh, you know, as I look at things, Fran, um, you know, the Republican Party um, clearly has a brand name problem, especially among probably suburban women. So, you know, whoever is, is going to be the nominee needs to uh, get that brand name back. Um, they're going to clearly have to, within the Republican Party, heal the differences between the Trump supporters and, you know, probably the, the Jim Edgar, Jim Thompson faction of the party. Um, we got to end these regional differences. That's one thing I'm proud of at the RTA is, look, we're one state. So the city, the suburbs uh, and downstate, you know, we are all including Southern Illinois, which is probably a, a fourth issue. Um, Southern Illinois is very different than just downstate Illinois. Um, but the Republican Party, if, you, if you're going to be successful, whoever the nominee is going to be, um, has to really key in on suburban women. you got to have a candidate that has a relationship uh, with the black community and, and the African-American community in Chicago, um, the Latinx community. Uh, the Republican Party really needs to rebuild itself. Um, I did vote for the Illinois Dream Act. Uh, I've had a great relationship, and I enjoy working uh, you know, in Inglewood, Lawndale, Pilsen, and areas with, with my, my, my Black and Latino friends. And in the Asian community, you know, when I represented Naperville in the legislature, there are thousands of Chinese uh, in Naperville. So, you know, when a president says anything disparaging to, uh, you know, to the China brand, and I'm all for fair trade and free trade, um, you know, I cringe because there's thousands of Chinese and Asian Americans in Chicago suburbs that, uh, you know, that probably shuddered at that. So, you know, it's just, I, I, you know, you have to look and, and rebuild the Republican Party first before a Republican uh, can ever win as governor in this state. And I never say never, but I have a very nice balanced life. And then uh, you call me, Fran, when uh, somebody 
whether it's Ken Griffin or somebody says, all right, I'll put 50 to $75 million um, into the governor's race because Governor Pritzker uh, is going to spend, um, he's going to spend, he already put $35 million in his campaign fund. Um, you know, we do have this thing and it does bother me as a middle-class American uh, that we have a tendency now, a trend, uh, you know, to billionaires, uh, you know, buying offices or trying to buy their way into office, whether it's Ron or President Trump or J.B. Pritzker, we got to go back to a system where, you know, people um, like like Jim Thompson can still run for governor. So until Ken Griffin drops 50 mil in your uh, campaign fund, you're not running. Um, I, I, believe me, if, if I were ever to run again, um, we would clearly have to figure out what you do about uh, fundraising, as well as how we're going to have a strategy to get back suburban women make inroads again in the Latino, Black, and Asian community. Uh, so uh, I'll never say. So how never, does the Republican but, Party do that? How does the Republican Party do that? This has gone from a uh, from a swing state to a navy blue state. It has. And, you know, with demographic shifts and, and people, part of its age, when I was the chairman of the DuPage Republican Party, Fran, it wasn't that long ago, every office in DuPage County, including townships, was held by Republicans. But I did a poll when I took, took over the party, and I remember the pollster came back, and one of the things, the three talking points he had on there was, it's an old party that one third of all of the Republicans in DuPage County, and this would have been in the late 1990s, is over the age of 60. Uh, so the Republican Party really needs to do some demographic analysis um, on itself and, um, um, you know, and rebuild. We have a new party chair, uh, Don Tracy, who I like very much. In fact, his uh, sister-in-law was my running mate, Jill Tracy from Quincy, who's a state senator. Oh, that's right. Uh, I remember that, against yeah. Governor Rauner. So Don, uh, I know Don's spending most of his time initially on uh, trying to uh, to bring the party back, be a healer, uh, the Trump people and the others uh, back. But you know, I went to dinner last night and I and I saw somebody from the western suburbs uh, who said, "Look, I was always a Republican, um, but uh, you know, I have real trouble with the, the Republican Party's brand these days, and um, you know, it's going to take a lot to get me back." Uh, and that was a male. It wasn't a female. So again, you know, the, the battleground comes down to the suburbs. Suburban women, uh, you know, is the first place I would start. But then we got to rebuild as Republicans their relationship uh, in the black community, the Latino community. And we have really good reasons why, um, you know, much of the Latinx community should be with us, uh, including uh, job creation. You know, and in the Asian community, which I think people overlook, uh, the Asian Americans, uh, hardworking, you know, American-loving, um, free free market folks. Um, but uh, you know, you gotta watch your watch your rhetoric and, and be careful. And uh, you know, I don't think people realize how many Asian Americans uh, we have in, in Illinois because they sometimes get overlooked when we're worried about. Uh, you know, the black and Latino communities. And I dare say it may be easier to win back commuters to mass transit than it will be to uh, maybe win back suburban women. It's, it's, a, it's a very big uphill climb, I think. 
Well, good luck with everything. Well, thank and you. thank you and for, thanks your, for having uh, me on. Get back on yeah. board. Um, it's clean, it's safe. Uh, and uh, just to close, let me just say, you know, that in a study by Mary Sue Barrett, who you had on, 50% of all the jobs created in almost the last decade in Illinois were within a half a mile of mass transit. 85% of all commercial construction was within a half mile of mass transit. And 76% of all new multifamily housing starts were within a 10 minute walk of a CTA or metro stations. So mass transit is critical to jumpstarting our economy in the Chicago metropolitan region. One sixth of Illinois used to take mass transit to work every day before the pandemic. And uh, you're not gonna have a real robust recovery without mass transit. We do save you a lot of money and a lot of grief, and you're helping the environment when you get on board. So thanks for having me, Fran. It's always a pleasure. Okay, okay. take care, Kirk, and we will see you all next week. Thank you. Thank you.